Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. Without further ado, here's our interview with Lulu Mena. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Embracing Autism IRL. Today, I have Lulu Mena with me. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm well. So Lulu is a 25-year-old EMT and medical assistant with five and a half years of experience in the medical field, and he's also an adult with autism. He has an online presence making videos about religion since he was 17 and is currently branching out into videos about his perspective on various events, issues, autism, and a variety of other topics. Lulu is a reasonably successful and respected adult, but describes himself as a child who was never expected to succeed due to a plethora of complex behavioral problems. He is currently writing a memoir about this, detailing his journey from troubled childhood to successful adulthood, which he aims to release in 2023. So Lulu, how are you doing? And can you tell me a bit about yourself? I'm doing well. So um, my background, as far as going back to my childhood, and how I kind of got from there to where I'm at now is is a little bit complex. So I was born in Virginia in 1997, and my mother was actually carrying twins initially, and she actually miscarried, and I survived, which is why the name of the memoir is going to be The Twin Who Lived. It became quite evident that I had behavioral problems, and this was somewhat expected because autism runs in both sides of my family. I don't really want to say specifically who, because that's kind of their private business, their private medical information. But uh, it was expected that I was going to be on the spectrum. It wasn't something that was a surprise, but I had a number of behavioral problems from a very, very young age that most other kids, even with autism, did not have. So my mother uh, worked in as a teacher in a psychiatric hospital for kids that uh, they would stay there at least six months. And they usually came from broken homes with parents who were having legal problems and things of that nature. She also has a bachelor's degree in child development. And despite having all of that experience in education, what was going on with me still baffled her. I was about nine months old when some of these behavioral patterns started to show. Initially, I was a very calm baby, but there was an incident where I was sitting on kind of my mother's lap next to a table. And again, nine months old, there was a phone there, a little landline phone. And nowadays, half the population doesn't know what those are. Nonetheless, uh, I was trying to, you know, mess around with it. And she kept batting my hand away over and over again because, you know, she don't want me to break it or call somebody by accident. And eventually, she just pops me in the leg to get me to get the message of stop doing that. So rather than how most babies would respond, I looked at her jaw drops like, who do you think you are? And then slapped her as hard as I possibly could, which for a nine month old is a very 
unusual way to act in response to something like that. So those things got worse as time went on when I was still not quite old enough to have complete sentences. I kept touching a hot stove repeatedly just to prove that I could do it, that I was going to do it and nobody was going to stop me. So when I got to be about three years old, uh, I started having really extreme uh, autistic meltdowns that would last for uh, an hour or more at a time. My mother had to, sometimes she just had to restrain me and just let me scream until I calmed down because I was breaking property or doing something that I would harm myself with. So eventually she taught me to express that frustration without breaking anything. However, you know, I, I would still go to my room and scream for over an hour at a time, which I was three years old. That's very, very exhausting for a three-year-old to be able to expend that level of energy. One day, uh, there was a neighbor that came around and knocked on the door. And, you know, I was upstairs in my room having a meltdown. And the neighbor was like, it sounds like you're killing him. And she said, well, if the police are called for some reason, you're a witness. I'm not touching him. I'm down here. He's up there. It was obvious from a young age, I just didn't respect any rules at all. I was always breaking the rules. Anytime that I was punished for anything, I would get angrier rather than actually following the rules. It would just make me more determined. When I was about six or seven years old, and this was something that kind of changed the course of my life, I had a rare urinary tract infection that was actually caused by a strep bacteria, um, which is a very, very unusual type of infection. But there is some literature that's coming out now that's talking about strep infections in children, and they can be throats or they can be, you know, infection in another area causes brain damage because there's an autoimmune response where the body attacks the brain because some of the brain cells look like strep cells to the body. So right after that, other than the constant melting down when I was happy, I was a reasonably happy kid, but I had this for six months and until they figured out what it was. And it was a really miserable experience. Anybody that's ever had a UTI before knows how uncomfortable that is. But to, for that to go on six months was terrible. And after that, my mental state got worse. I was having meltdowns more often. I developed stems that almost looked like Tourette's ticks that I had not had before. I, I was just very emotional emotionally fractious. My arrogance and rebellious attitude towards authority got much worse. I also developed extreme sensory sensitivities that I had not had before to things like my br brother playing the piano, my mother typing, kids, like little kids screaming. And even to this day, if I hear a little kid scream, it's like instant excruciating pain. Not as bad as it used to be, but that got worse over time. And as I got into adolescence, my you know mentality got a lot worse. I was essentially having very violent thoughts and feelings towards anybody that I felt was trying to impede me from what I wanted, whether that was somebody who was bullying me or whether that was, you know, my parents who took my games and stuff away because I was misbehaving. Anybody that was impeding what I wanted, I immediately thought I want them to die. I want to kill them. However, I had the forethought at least to realize, you know, if I try to do that, then I will probably ruin my life. In adolescence is where it got really bad. And, you know, I was expressing very, very violent thoughts going into adolescence and, you know, physically starting to mature. There were a number of things that I said that were sexually inappropriate and, and uh, deviant that was very, very disturbing for anyone of any age to say, but especially for somebody who is basically a tween and early teen, it was very concerning. And there were a number of people that didn't tell my parents for up until maybe a year or two ago about some of the things along those lines that I said, because they were worried that my parents wouldn't be able to handle it, which is probably not an inaccurate 
assessment of the situation given what we were going through. But these problems got worse and worse over time. I was just extremely rebellious to any type of real suggestion that I needed to follow any any type of rules or any type of social convention other than what I wanted to do. When I was in college working on an arts degree, I ended up having a mental breakdown and withdrawing. I'd taken some psychology classes and realized that there were some symptoms I had that kind of lined up with mental health disorders. And I started to really realize, I think something is wrong here. I I grew up in a very chaotic household. There's unfortunately a lot of history of abuse on both sides of my family that seeped into my life. Unfortunately, I didn't realize how abnormal I was, like my behavior, my thought process. I didn't realize how bad it was and how it was actually in many ways a sign of mental health pathology because it's all I knew. I didn't really have anything to compare it to. After taking the psychology classes and, you know, realizing something's wrong here, I ended up working in mental health from age 19. I ended up working in mental health for a couple of years. One of the biggest revelations to what was going on with me was I went to a specialist psychiatry and neurology clinic in Atlanta. It would have been early last year. So about January of, of 2021, I had brain imaging done, had all types of blood work done. And we had discovered things that we had not previously known, including that I actually have frontal lobe brain damage. There were a number of incidents where I got hit with a basketball when I was three years old. This kid drop kicked a basketball and just wasn't thinking about it. So I got hit in the forehead. And again, I'm a three-year-old child at that point. So I go up in the air and then land. And then the back of my head hits the floor of the gym. And there were no signs of concussions or neurological injury or anything like that at the time. So, and my mom did watch me pretty closely for that. So we weren't terribly concerned. And then I had, after I had that strep bladder infection, I had a self-harming behavior where I wanted to beat up other people so bad that I was just banging my head against my bedpost until I saw white flashes. So we think that's probably where the frontal lobe brain damage came from because it's it's flat when it should be rounded off in a healthy brain. That was kind of what went on with my childhood and up to kind of what's going on now, just a brief synopsis. I was going down a really dark path for a long time and my family members thought that I was probably going to end up like a school shooter. They thought that I was going to end up either incarcerated, institutionalized in some type of psychiatric institution or dead from some type of violent crime or, or something of that nature. The fact I was able to turn myself around when everyone around me, friends, family, quite a few other individuals realized something is going on with this kid, something's wrong, but we can't quite put our finger on it. Obviously, I was able to make a big turnaround by understanding uh, and being educated about mental health, getting on medication, and then the imaging that I had done last year that really showed some of the culprits of mental health problems that I had not seen before. I was very, very close to going down the type of path that, for example, Nicholas Cruz is on trial for his life right now. I was thought to probably be going down that type of path. So it's been a long journey. that's been very difficult to get from there to where I'm at now to be mentally healthy and a successful adult in the medical field. I think that that's, first of all, really, you know, an amazing story to hear because just to see where you are now compared to where you were as a child. I've heard stories from parents who have kids who are starting off, you know, they're three, four, five, and they're seeing a lot of these similar behaviors that you experienced as a child. 
oftentimes that is kind of like their worst fear where they do see these situations of like, what's going to happen to my child in the future? If they're already doing this at age three, age four, age five, where will they be in adulthood? Are they going to be incarcerated? Are they going to end up being like some sort of violent person? And that's often a lot of the fear. They don't really know what to do about it. And they just feel like it's a train that they see coming that they can't stop. Just going from your experience in your childhood and everything that you've gone through, how would you recommend parents who have kids that might be on that same track approach these struggles with their own autistic kids? One thing that I think is really important is people tend to shy away from mental health professionals when it comes to children because they know about the epidemic of kids being overprescribed Adderall and Ritalin and things like that for ADHD but the autistic brain is has some serious problems i know there are people that say that it's a different way of being rather than a disorder or disability i kind of think it's both i think it's a different way of being that also comes with very debilitating challenges at times but people really do need to take their children to the right mental health professionals from a young age. Like the kid needs counseling to discuss why they feel the way they do, why they're feeling angry, what what's exactly is going on in their mind. And they may need medication from a young age. I know that, you know, I didn't get on medication until I was 19 years old. It was something that I just, I didn't want to be medication dependent. But now that I have been on medication for over five years, my quality of life has increased so substantially that I wish that I had gotten on medication when I was a lot younger, like when I was a minor teen or tween or something along those lines. People shouldn't be afraid of trying mental health medications, you know, getting in with a psychiatrist that is really good with younger patients who's, who's, you know, certified to do adolescent and child psychiatry and really listens to what all the symptoms are so they can get a complete picture. Counselors and psychotherapists as well, they tend to work in conjunction with psychiatrists out of the same office. So that helps you get an even bigger picture. Don't be afraid of medication. Don't be afraid of mental health professionals. Don't walk to them, run to them. Another important aspect with that too is people don't consider the role of the brain when it comes to a lot of these things. I I guarantee you, if you take any famous person that has done a shooting like Nicholas Cruz, or you take other famous criminals throughout history, like people like Ted Bundy or others, I guarantee you, if you did the type of imaging on their brain that I had done, you're going to see some serious problems. If your brain is not working right, it's an organ, just like all the other organs. If it is not working correctly, then you're going to run into some serious problems. There's going to be emotional problems. There's going to be behavioral problems because your brain is what generates emotions. It's what processes your thoughts and you know many, many other things. It's not that I don't believe that morality is a thing and that there is actual right and wrong things that people should do and things that people should not do. It's not that I believe that people don't have the free choice to make many of the decisions that they make, but people still ignore the role of the brain in that. It makes me wonder, you know, how how many of these kids that have done crimes or even adults that have committed crimes that have been very, very famous, how many of these people, if you actually looked at their brain and saw physically what was going on in their brain and then tried to treat that those problems accordingly, how many of these people would have gone down in history for living very productive lives and helping other people rather than destroying lives? That's what I think is super important 
you know, I'm not a parent. I don't plan on becoming a parent. That is a very difficult burden. That is that is not for me. It's not my calling. But when you see your child behaving a particular way, you know, even if it's against the rules, if it's what you are not wanting them to do, your first thought should not be anger. It should be compassion and thinking, why is my kid doing this? What's going on inside their mind? Do they have some emotional feelings that are outside of their control that are causing them to act out? It shouldn't be viewed as, a, you know, I'm the parent, I'm the authority. And so if you break my rules, then I get mad because I'm the authority and I set the rules. If that's your mentality, especially about autistic children, don't be a parent. You're going to damage your child severely. And that type of mentality is what I've seen with a lot of autistic children of, I'm going to beat this child into submission and make this child behave according to the rules because I'm the parent and I have the authority. I can't tell you how many autistic people I know who have been severely, severely damaged by this kind of mentality. That's really like interesting to hear about the brain scans and everything that you did and the fact that you know there is a neurological component. I actually used to be an EEG technician and a neurofeedback technician. So it's something that I tend to try to talk to with the community. And you do sometimes get that pushback of people who don't quite believe it in a way. But I agree with you. It is kind of like a mix of both. It's kind of like that whole nature versus nurture argument. Like I do believe it's kind of like a half and half. Part of it is your brain wiring that you really can't control or do much about because that's just how you're wired. And another part is that nurture aspect. So I don't feel like it's 100% either way, but I think sometimes half of that puzzle kind of gets ignored and then you can't really come up with the best solution moving forward. So it was interesting to see how you actually went and got those scans and saw like the actual physiological differences in your brain. It's something I've wanted to do too, but I'm kind of holding off. (laughs) So I have some questions because you were mentioning, you know, growing up and you're acting out and all sorts of kind of aggressive behaviors. And I figured it would make sense that if you were a child who struggled with these behaviors, Behaviors, would it kind of make you a target to bullying in school or amongst your peers? Or was it the other way around? Did it make you more of a bully? Well, so I was actually homeschooled through high school, and I've gotten a good bit of post-secondary education as well with medical training as well. But, you know, most homeschool communities will have kids, groups of homeschoolers that will that will meet together. So that way the kids have the opportunity to meet with each other. Homeschool kids tend to meet up with each other. I did get to interact with a lot of other kids. And when I was about 12 or 13, we moved to a pretty good-sized house on a pretty good-sized property in a safe neighborhood, safe side of town. And all of the kids that lived around me were either publicly or privately schooled. And I got bullied pretty severely by them. I did have, you know, a lot of interactions with peers in in multiple settings where I said um, and did things that were very mean. But I would say I was probably the victim of the target of the bullying a lot more often, even when I wasn't being cantankerous or mean or anything like that. It could just be I'm just being my normal self and people are more or less bullying me and, and making me feel bad for just being the way that I am. I can definitely relate to that because growing up, I really stood out in school, mostly because I was the type who kind of like isolated and I'd be like reading my books while everyone was playing or I just didn't really socially interact a lot like was expected. And that kind of made me a target because I think people thought I was weird. So I can relate to that. Do you feel like that left any personal trauma or anything growing up? Did it 
impact your way of viewing yourself or anything like that? Very much so, because today I'm I, I have a lot of diagnoses. So I, obviously autism is one, but due to the bullying and some other problems that I had in the home, I have PTSD and I also have OCD and ADHD and bipolar type two. I think if I count correctly, that's five diagnoses that are all kind of compounding each other. But it really did. I was a recluse away from the other kids. You know, I would game all day rather than going out and trying to play. You know, for the longest time, I didn't play with the neighborhood kids at all. It really killed my creative spirit, too, because, you know, I I was a very, very creative kid despite acting out a lot. I would make like use a laminator and make like trading cards. I used amateur game creation software to make little games here and there and, you know, make websites and a lot of different things like that, that mostly kind of revolved around computing. I was kind of a geek, but the amount of time that I spent on that after going through the bullying you know, was minimalist because they they made me feel less than and they attacked me for being that way rather than being like the average high school or middle school kid who's maybe like some video games, but is like way into sports and all other types of things that are considered mainstream. That's so interesting that you say that because those were the same things I was into. Instead of game cards, I was like making laminated bookmarks. And then I was a huge gamer. I was big into video games. And as a girl, that was even more isolating because like no girls were into video games. So that was interesting. I I, like totally related to that. We probably would have hung out. (laughs) Probably back in the day, you know. So, I mean, you're here, you're well put together, you're able to talk with no problems. What did you do to overcome these challenges? I know you said that you started some medication. It seems like there's some self-exploration that happened. What do you feel was like the switch that helped you get yourself together, get life together, kind of get on track? My mother, she does have that educational background in childhood development and has you know experience working with a lot of kids, having been a teacher in many different settings, including in, in a psychiatric facility. And so what she tried to do with myself and my brother was try to get us to go to as many kind of social gatherings as we could to make up for not being with peers, you know, six hours a day, five days a week. And, you know, when we made different mistakes and things like that. Um, you know, we could get feedback from her and, and and from others when we made mistakes. Granted, some of the mistakes just because of the behavior patterns I had, I was I was set in acting like a jerk or act, acting inappropriate. Another aspect of it is that I've always been sort of a, a people person. So when I started to mature when I was 16 or 17 and realized, hey, something's wrong here, I need to quit behaving the way that I've been behaving my entire life. It it became a lot easier to talk to people and relate to people. And I found that other people tended to be, for the most part, very respectful, very compassionate, especially if I was the same way. Having the type of mother that I had was certainly something that helped there, but also the aspect of just liking other people and, and wanting to understand the social rules and social cues enough that I you know, was paying attention and trying to see just observing body language, observing people's intonation when they're speaking and, and things of that nature. It really, it motivated me to do all of those things. So it would be easy to communicate with other people and, you know, make friends and, and get to know people without there being such a substantial impairment. 
That's really good to hear because most of our audience is mothers primarily. So to know that they can have such an impact on the outcome of their child, it's good to hear from your perspective how that really is a critical, crucial point and you can make or break it depending on how you choose to approach or accept your child's autism or not. So along those lines, what do you think is perhaps the most harmful approach to autism and why? Making a child be something that they're not. Everybody is kind of because of the nature and nurture uh, ratio. People just have a a personality and just kind of a way that they are. If you are someone who, you you know, your personality is positive and, and productive, being yourself is a good thing. You know, if you're a complete narcissist or something along those lines, then yeah, there needs to be some direction of, yeah, you need to change things. But when there's nothing wrong with the way you are and the way you express yourself, but you've spent your entire life being told that something that you're doing is wrong, that's destructive. And of course, people are probably are familiar with the fact that among autistic people, the term masking is used to describe hiding your real personality. And there's um, literature that started to come out within the past 10 years that actually indicates that masking in autistic people causes PTSD. And so, you know, your child might not follow the same religion as you, might not follow the same political philosophy as you, might not adopt all the same values as you, might read book series that you wouldn't want them to read or say words you wouldn't want them to say. That's part of having a child. Your child is going to grow up and then they're going to do basically whatever they want. And if you just try to completely suppress them throughout that entire time, one, it's not going to work because then they're going to grow up and they're probably going to involve themselves in all of these different things that you didn't want them to be involved in in the first place. And it's going to come back with a passion because they're going to have a mentality of, oh, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do whatever I want now, but it is going to be traumatic to them in in the process of doing that. Parents have to accept that your child is not going to grow up and become an adult and agree with everything that you agree with and make every single lifestyle choice that that you agree with. And that's been kind of an issue with, you know, my parents, because when I'm outside of a professional setting, you know, I curse like a sailor, I drink, I follow a, you know, religious minority that is not highly revered in much of the United States and uh, do many, many other things that they don't agree with. But despite their best efforts and trying to cram into my mind, no, you shouldn't do this stuff. I still turned out the way that I am. So all you're going to do with autistic people, and it's kind of people in general, not just autistic people, but if you do it to an autistic person, the likelihood of, you know, that type of outcome, I think is going to be much higher just because of the fact that autistic people, our emotions tend to be more extreme. It's kind of the, I call it the disorder of extremes because you either have an extreme emotion or you don't have an emotion at all. That is how I've experienced being autistic. There isn't, you know, low or moderate emotions. It's either you're hundred percent or your zero percent on whatever the emotion is. So if you approach your child with that type of mentality, then it's going to be damaging, I think, to any child, but especially damaging to an autistic child. You have to meet each child where they are at and help them to understand right from wrong and be, you know, productive with their lives. Do you think that there are certain changes specifically that should be made or can be made to push towards acceptance of autistic individuals? A lot of it involves, I think, the social convention in our country because, and 
you know, in many other places in the world. The problem with the, the idea of the social convention is that the social convention says that you shouldn't do certain things, even though there's actually nothing wrong with those things. So the behavior from autistic people and the and the body language and the stems and many other things that if you are familiar with autistic people, you can, even if someone is a well-spoken autistic person, you can kind of pick up, yeah, I'm kind of getting autistic vibes from that person. Being eccentric like that shouldn't be condemned per the social convention. It is because, you know, people see the behaviors and they're weirded out and they think there's something wrong with it, even though there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't harm anyone. Expressing ourselves the way that we are is helpful to our mentality and and who we are as individuals. We really have to be vocal about trying to tear down the social convention that says there's something inherently wrong with the way that autistic people are and that it has to be changed. I think a lot of times as well, there's kind of like the unknown about autism. Like a lot of people are not educated on autism. They don't even truly know what autism means. Because of that, there's often this like fear of the unknown. For eons, humans have always been afraid of things they can't explain. And I feel like autism has sometimes become that kind of boogeyman because people just don't know what it is. So they just see different, like you mentioned, and they're kind of instinctively scared of it or not sure about it or not really sure how to approach it. And that instinctively reacts into a sort of like, okay, well, I don't get it. So I need to stay away from it sort of thing. So I think that you're right. I, I think that there's needs to be more like acceptance and education in a way to kind of break down those barriers so people don't feel uncomfortable or scared about it. But I think I think you're right. Um, and I, I wonder if some of this can be done through school or just the workplace or how how do you think essentially that this approach can be ma- handled or like what do you think can be done to better assist autistics in the real world and work in school and life? I, I think there has to be education on all levels of just increased acceptance uh, across the board for all types of people. You know, you, you shouldn't have to be autistic in order to be accepted for being eccentric or unusual. You shouldn't have to meet the diagnostic criteria for anything in order to just be accepted for yourself because there are people that don't have any type of disorder, mental disorder or diagnosis or, or anything of that nature that just have odd personalities, weird ways that they think and express themselves. We need to just generally speaking, if you are not harming people, if you are not trying to go out of your way to be a jerk to people, then you should be left alone. Um, You should be able to express yourself and be who you are, even though it's different from other people. And I think if you kind of do that to begin with, if you start with that baseline level of you shouldn't need a diagnosis of anything in order to be accepted when you are different from other people, then the acceptance for autistic people and other people that have disorders that affect their behavior and the way that they communicate and think and relate to other people, that will come as a part of that. Sometimes what people don't do is they don't take the intent into consideration. So like a lot of autistics will come off as a jerk because we don't necessarily conform to like the societal norms of like conversations. So we're more blunt, we're less discreet, we want to get straight to the point. And oftentimes that comes off as rude or as a jerk and can socially isolate you and cause you to be like ostracized. Even if that person is being a jerk, There needs to be, I think, compassion and that what you were saying earlier in this discussion where it's like, where's that behavior coming from? Like, what is the intent behind those words? Were they meant to hurt your feelings or is it perhaps just like they got straight to the point and didn't use flowery language? 
So I totally agree with you there. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to get a little bit more information because you had mentioned towards the beginning about the cool brain sciencey part of that. And I minored in neuroscience, so I definitely want to hear a little bit more about that. So let's nerd out for a second and talk a little bit about the importance of the role of the brain in human behavior. And why do you think that this is something that needs to be considered, particularly when it comes to autism? It's of pinnacle importance because if you take any person who has substantial behavioral problems, whether they meet the diagnostic criteria or something for not, you'd take any criminal in prison that doesn't meet the diagnostic criteria for anything and you scan that brain, you're going to see a problem there. Any kid that has substantial behavioral problems, it is impossible to not have those types of behavioral problems and have you know, uh, substantial issues where you're too angry when you should not be or anything else that causes you to act out in a way that's unacceptable. It is impossible to have that going on and not have something bad or some type of pathology going on in the brain. It's just those two things are mutually exclusive. You can't have one and not have the other. They have to be together. That is important because if you start approaching it from a medical model, it'll lead you to judging people a lot less and, you know, understanding, oh, wow, their brain is messed up and it needs to be fixed. And they wouldn't be acting this way if that problem wasn't there in the first place. Do you happen to remember what some of those brain scans were in case any parents listening wanted to pursue that route with their kids? I actually did mine through the um, Amon clinics in Atlanta. I had the SPECT imaging done. Um, unfortunately, that is usually not covered by insurance and it is very, very expensive. So unfortunately, there are a lot of areas where you know, people are not going to be able to afford it. However, I do know you mentioned that you used to be a neurofeedback technician. Neurofeedback can be pricey and it can be cheaper just depending on where you get it from. And I know sometimes with that, they do some brain mapping as well. I think the type of brain imaging that tends to be covered by insurance tends to be more along the lines of like fMRI or which is functional MRI imaging. The SPECT imaging is what I had done personally. Okay, well, thank you for that information. Just in case anyone out there wants it, who knows, maybe somebody can afford it. So where can my listeners find you? I believe that you said that you have a YouTube channel somewhere. All right. So um, I have a YouTube channel called Lulu's Perspective. I made that very, very recently to talk about things that have nothing to do with religion. I did a religion channel for a long time. It's called The Orthodox Lunatic. If people want to look at that, that's kind of irrelevant to the to the topic that's going on here. But the new channel that I made where I'll be discussing anything to do with autism or anything else that is irrelevant to religion, Lulu's Perspective is where they should go. And it's not really kind of showing up on YouTube yet. So um, uh, obviously, you're going to put the link in the description. Yep. So you heard that. I will pop those links in the description. You'll have access to those there. I want to thank you so much, Lulu, for taking the time to stick with us and have this conversation. I think these conversations are important. And hopefully our audience learned a lot. Thank you for sharing your perspective. And I hope you have a great remainder of your day. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful day as well. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.